This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm really excited about my guests. That's right. Two guests today, Steph Bruce and Ben Rosario. So excited to have these two on the show for the, I don't know, hundredth time, whatever. Uh, Been interviewing Steph and Ben for quite some time now, and it's always a joy and honor to have them on the show. I recently had the opportunity to have Steph on a panel with me at the Boston Marathon uh, with Destination Marathons, which was really fun. Steph runs for NAZ Elite. She's the mom of two and having her third baby here in a few months. Very exciting for the Bruce family. She's a three-time U.S. champion and has just worn her heart on her sleeve, sharing her journey in the professional running world over on her Instagram page. I know y'all are already following Steph, but if you aren't, go make sure you're doing it. Uh, Coach Ben Rosario, he's the founder of NAZ Elite, the coach, and now is kind of the overseer. He's always been the overseer of all the things, but recently they've brought on Alan Culpepper to be the head coach over there so he can do more of the business stuff or focus more on it, I should say, because he was already doing it anyway. Uh, Ben is an entrepreneur through and through. He goes all in on everything he does. And he and Steph wrote a book called Follow Your Heart. And, you know, last year, Steph announced that she was retiring. And so it was like the last year and super fun to follow her journey and how she put her heart into everything. Um, You know, after some really hard times, her mother passing away, being diagnosed with a heart condition, lots going on in her life and just putting her heart and soul which she's always done, but putting her heart and soul into this last year of professional running. So Ben documents that journey, all of her races. You get a deep dive into what her training looks like. I love the idea of following the training of these professional athletes and then just kind of like tinkering with it a little bit and doing my own thing, but sneaking in some of these workouts, like, you know, maybe 50% of the workouts uh, for my own training. And I also just love how transparent NAZ is, has always been about their training and what they do. If you haven't picked up the book, go pick it up. It's called Follow Your Heart. Uh, And then, you know, one of the things we talk about in the episode is this like transition period in our lives. Ben and Steph and I are all kind of the same age and what it looks like to be entering new phases of life, both in our professional careers and just with our ages and what we're doing with everything. And so... I got a little in my feelings about it. I just had a big surgery. So um, I actually recorded this the week before my surgery. And so as I was hosting the conversation, my mind very much was distracted by my own big surgery that I had coming up the next week. And so I can I can feel that it was probably woven into the conversation uh, pretty intensely. And you might feel that, too. I didn't talk about the surgery, but um It probably led the conversation more than I realized it was going to. Um, If you're following me on Instagram, lindsayhines626, I share about what's going on in the surgery that I had. And my Instagram is lindsayhines626 if you want to follow over there and get a little more in-depth about what's going on. 
Um, I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm, everything's fine. Just some, some stuff going on. But um, yeah, follow on Instagram, lindsayhine626. I kind of share more in-depth life stuff over there. Uh, if you do love the conversation with Steph and Ben, leave us a rating and review. That's a huge help for the show. Uh, and if you just share it organically on social media, like if you happen to like it and then you share it on your stories, uh, just tag me, lindsayhine626. You can tag our production company, Sandy Boy Productions, as well. Um, that's just a great way people are finding out about the show. And so we always appreciate it when you do that. Uh, all right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Ben Rosario and Steph Bruce. All right. Today on the podcast, we have Ben Rosario and Steph Bruce. Hello, friends. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. How's it going? It's going well. I would say great. It's going great. This is so fun because I just got to see you both in Boston. I was so excited. Ben was at the event that we did, Steph, and you guys had you guys had a lot of book sales at that event. I feel like a lot of people came up and to the table and checked it out. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody that was there came up and bought a book, it seemed like. And then we we had a similar experience this past weekend at the Big Sur Marathon where we sold books at the expo uh, at the Hoka booth and did great. So yeah, it's been going very well. That's so fun. It's I, I feel like those kinds of events are so important when you have a book out because if people can actually meet the author and get it signed, it's that much more enticing to buy. Yeah, we found it's been funny and Ben and I have kind of like been together the last couple of weeks because we've been touring everywhere. And this weekend at Big Sur, like um, we got this cool printout of the cover, you know, which is obviously of me. But then I feel like what's happening is I'm getting like very visibly pregnant. So uh. people, people will be like looking at the book cover and then they'll be like, is that the same person? You know, like, kind of, and so we kind of have to be like, it's me. And then, you know, usually one of us will give a spiel of what the book is about. And we love it because some people, they totally know us and they're like, yeah, we're excited to read. And other people are like, yeah, I like to read. I'm going to get this. <laughs> uh, well, I told you one of my friends from Indianapolis that I like randomly ran into on the street and I was like, oh yeah, we're doing this event with Steph Bruce. And he said, oh, I'm in the middle of her book right now. And then he was at the same restaurant we were at that night. That was that family I introduced you to. Isn't that so crazy? That's cool. Um, and I totally know what you mean. I brought this up to you and Molly at the live event. My photo of my podcast, my cover art is a picture taken of me in 2015 and it is so outdated. I don't look the same at all. And one time someone messaged me and she was like, you are not a young girl anymore. Get a picture of who you really are now on there. And I was like, what? It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> so much work to update those things. It is. And I mean, like, I, I can't imagine, or I can't believe that someone would actually message you that. Um, <laughs> but I just feel like, yeah, we're kind of always changing, like what we look like, where we're at in life, aging, you know, stuff like that. But it, it's still us, regardless of what the picture or the thumbnail looks like. And the funny part about that picture is I actually was 15 weeks pregnant with Lewis. So it's not like I was that young. <laughs> um, all right, Ben, give us some NAZ uh, updates. Oh, we're just rocking and rolling. You know, we, we, we brought on a lot of new athletes last year and we've been really happy with those athletes and the performances they've, they've been able to produce and the energy they've been able to bring to the team. 
And we've also been equally as happy with Steph and Alephine and Kellen and Matt Baxter and some of the people that have been around for a long time and how they've been able to mentor those young athletes. And I just think it's a really good synergy between the veterans, the young people, the milers, the marathoners and everything in between. And you've gotten to see that, I would say, over the last month. No better example than than Boston weekend when we had Chrissy Gear win the BAA mile. And then two days later, Alphine gets 11th at the Boston Marathon and runs 224. So, um, and, and that's not even to mention all the great athletes we had in the 5K that ran really well. So, yeah, it's just it's just going great. And we've got a big weekend this weekend with uh, five athletes on the track at the Sound Running Meet in California. And then Matt Baxter at Bloomsday 12K, which is a famous road race. And Wesley Kiptu defending his title at the Pittsburgh Half. So, yeah, it's just one one thing after another. All good. Um, who's the athlete on your team? And you guys, correct me if I'm telling this story wrong. We had Wesley Career on the, the panel in Boston. And he has a school to help kids from his home country in Kenya. Who's the one on your team that went through his program? Am I saying that right? Yeah, I'll do I'll take that one. So that's Wesley Kiptu. So okay. so Wesley Kiptu was one of the first athletes to be accepted into the Transcend Academy. And that's Wesley Career's Academy in Kenya that is designed to identify young talent, young running talent in Kenya and get them into a school where they can receive an education as well as proper training. And so it's very selective. And one of the things I found out that I didn't know about when I was talking to Wesley Career and his wife Tara in, in Boston at your event was that that first class, you know, that first class that they had at Transcend, I think it was the first one, uh, there was only seven spots. And they had a race in the top seven athletes in this race were going to get a spot in Transcend Academy. And Wesley Kiptu found out about it, was really excited, but didn't have too much running experience at all. And so he just went into that race kind of blind, kind of not knowing what to do, but knew he had to be top seven and just ran as hard as he had ever run in his life to that point and got seventh place. Oh, and, wow. and it's kind of crazy to think about because that changed his life. And that was the whole, that's the whole point of Wesley Careers Academy. And Wesley Kiptu was able to get an education, uh, get accepted into a community college here in the United States, uh, go to that community college and then transfer to Iowa State where he was a national champion. And now he's running professionally. And that was the whole point of the academy. So it's, he is kind of the example of what Transcend Academy can be. That is so cool. I'm like... It is so inspiring to see what people do with their careers. You know, I just like happenstance met Wesley because I was hosting some interviews on stage at um, Chicago Marathon Expo and he was one of the interviews that they connected me to interview with. And I didn't know much about his story. Of course, I was like, okay, he's won Boston. Like he's a really big deal. Um, But the more I got to know him, the more I'm like, man, I knew nothing about this guy and I cover, you know, runners. And so... Um, hearing that connection just was like, wow, that really brought everything he's doing to life. Yeah, you had a great panel up there in Boston. Steph is amazing and, and has the audience eating out of her hand always. And Wesley Career was the same way and Molly Huddle was the same way. So I enjoyed that panel. It was wonderful. It was fun. Who knew Wesley was so funny? He's very funny. <laughs> so one of the my favorite parts of the book is um, I love that Though you are documenting Steph's last year, 
we also you also wove in the other teammates as well. So like Matt Baxter, for instance, I don't didn't know a lot about Matt Baxter, and I learned a lot through reading the book. And it was fun to be able to get glimpses of his buildup and his race morning and things like that, along with Steph's. How did you decide to incorporate the rest of the team into the story? Because that's a part of Steph's story. <laughs> you know, Steph is on the team, and that's what the team is about. And so you can't you can't tell a story about Steph preparing for New York without also including some of the things that Alephine was going through or that Matt was going through. Uh, those are important pieces of, of the story. And I always say that every marathon segment is a story. <laughs> it has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end, it has highs and lows. And it always has a climax at the end in the form of the race itself. And so my belief was that weaving in Alephine's uh, trials and tribulations and Matt's highs and lows would make that climax, that New York City Marathon day, that much more compelling to the reader. Uh, in addition to, of course, following Steph all along the way and, and, and really detailing what she was doing, what she was going through. So I hope that worked. Yeah. I thought it was really fun too. And you know, a lot of the characters I knew a little bit about here and there, but not everybody. I know some people's stories better than others. Um, at the end, when you're like, when Steph decides like, I'm going to not retire anymore. Um, and you said, oh, I had all these questions for the book, like to grill her and like figure out this out. And she got a little like miffed by my questions. I was thinking, oh, those were probably like the same kind of questions I was going to ask her for this interview. So I'm glad I didn't. So I would love to hear your side of that thought process, Steph. Oh, my side. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know if it'd be better coming from Ben, but I, I, I guess if I could kind of like back up when Ben like presented the idea of writing the book, um, it sort of just felt really natural to me because like Ben mentioned, Sure, like you could say, this is about me and my journey, but so much of what I'm all about is, yes, I'm sharing my story, my life, um, but I do it in the hopes that other people feel inspired to do so about themselves and not worry about the outcome. So like when Ben's setting out to write this book, I'm not training worried, ooh, if I place this at New York, like, are people going to like the book or not? Mm -hmm. And I think that is like a really great metaphor for life because you can't necessarily do things knowing what the end goal is going to be. And I think in our sports, some people fear sharing along the way because of that, either that they're going to be judged because of their performance or they're going to lose a fan base or people are going to think like, their word isn't valuable if they said these goals and then they didn't hit them. Um, and so I think as like the story was being written and I was kind of living it, a little part of my worry was like, oh man, I think I'm like getting to that point where I want to keep doing this and I don't want to retire. I started to do what I'm like against. What are people going to think? Am I going to hurt people's feelings? The whole running world was behind me. All these like races felt like they did all these cool things for me, you know, in my last. People were emotionally invested, like my teammates, my coaches, all this. And it felt more like I don't want to take up more people's energy mm -hmm. just because I'm going to not retire. So eventually, like 
in the beginning, it was almost like a joke to Ben. I'm like, can I just not say anything and just keep training? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well, no, we, we really got to put something out there. And so, yeah, I think what he just asked me is he wanted me to go through like my process of why I changed my mind when I did. And at first, like I could appreciate those questions. But then I think the reason I got like a little miffed was like, I don't really know why. And, and I can't tell you like the moment it switched for me. And then I got to a point where I'm like, I don't really think I need a reason or I need like a, well, this is exactly why and um, hope that's okay with everybody. Mm. I kind of just got to a point of like, this is my life. And as long as my sponsors are on board, which is Hoka, as long as my teammates still like having me around, as long as my family, Ben and kids are okay with the decision. And then my coaches like coaching me, like those were the most important check marks I had to be like, are these people still on board with working with me? And if those were all yeses, then it felt like a good decision to keep going forward. Do you have a follow up to that, Ben? Yeah, sure. I mean, what what I think that I learned because I was really excited about asking those hard questions. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> because I thought as a writer, which I am a writer, you know, and, and I do take my writing very seriously and I take my sports watching very seriously and I'm a huge sports fan. And I've watched athletes that I love um, go through retirement and unretirement. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Serena Williams, uh, all, all these folks, right, over the years, and the list goes on and on. And so I thought, wow, I have an opportunity now to get into the head of someone who's actually making this decision in real time. It's like I'm, it's like I'm interviewing Serena, you know, like I get to see what the heck goes on in these people's minds. But what I realized, which is what Steph just said, is it's not like that. They don't have an answer and that's okay. And I think if I would have asked Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, obviously I wouldn't have been able to do that, but um, <laughs> they wouldn't have really had a great answer either. Um, and that's totally okay. Cause at the end of the day, they're not really, and this is cheesy because this is the, this is the, cha uh, this is the title of the book, but they're not really, they're not really analyzing it and going through it in a you know, checkbox, um, analytical sort of way. They're just following their heart. <laughs> they're, they're just saying, I want to do it. So I'm going to do it. And that's kind of how they live their whole lives, top athletes. And so that was really the, the cool thing that came out of it for me was, oh, I get it. Like, this is why they do it. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no secret, super nuanced answer. It's just, they're not ready to quit and they want to keep going and, and they love it and it's their passion and they they just are following their either you call it their heart or their gut instinct and that's what Steph did and so it was really cool. It's like more of a fluid thing than like a, this happened, this happened, so I'm going to keep going. Yeah, and they don't owe us anything like Steph said. I mean, part of those questions that I was asking, it was as a fan who was really, like she was saying, was really invested in this whole cool story of, of her retiring. I thought it was an awesome story. And I'm really pumped about what she's going to do years from now. Um, so really, I was just a normal person, you know. Um, and yeah, it was cool to be on the inside, though, and get... get um, get a cool behind the scenes look of, of, of how hard this choice really is. And I think the book, though, we don't, again, because there, there is no crazy secret sauce answer. The answer is in the, is in the comprehensive um, nature of the book. The, the, you, you get to see why it would have been so hard to retire when, first of all, you see her love for the sport. 
you see her love in the present of how much she was loving that particular segment and running so well. And you, I, I think if you put herself, yourself in her shoes, you're going to think, yeah, I wouldn't retire either. Mm. Yeah. So like when I think about that, I was, when I was like writing questions for this interview, I was thinking, how did you like not burn out that year? Cause you did race a lot. And then it's like, I don't know. Was it, was there a lot of pressure because it was your last year or was there no, not m- as much pressure because it was your last year? You know what I mean? Like, how did you not burn out through those feelings? I mean, I think I just burnout is like, that word is just never in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I think that has what has allowed me to compete into my late thirties. And I think that's just my approach. Like, I am never too high or low based on like how my training or performance is going. If something's not going well, I'm like, I got to figure out like, what am I, what am I messing up? Am I messing up by recovery? Um, I rarely get injured. Um, and so the only times that I'm sort of, let's say like fizzling out is this season is maybe energy wise. And then I have to figure out, okay, was that something, was I like under fueled or overtrained, something like that. And so, I think because I do just like love my job so much and it goes back to like hearing about Wesley's story. It's like people don't realize so many of us from America, like we could do anything else. Mm -hmm. We have great college educations. We're very privileged. I could do anything else. But the fact that like someone cares about what I'm doing enough to pay me to train and run, I'm like, how could I get burned down on that? It, It is just it is not a hard job. Like this weekend, we well, people will come up. They're like, I'm sorry, can I take a selfie? And I'm like, if that is the hardest part of my day, like someone coming up and taking a selfie, I have a pretty good life. And so um, the burnout part is is just not there for me. And so I think for this last year, or what I thought was the last year was, we sort of went through and we were like, all right, what races, like what matters at this point in my career, if these were my last, what race directors do I want to see again? What, you know, races that I want to go to? What are like the goals? What races am I trying to win? Like other teams to make? Um, And like Ben mentioned, sometimes it's sensible, sometimes it's not. If you had asked me after each Olympic cycle, oh, you didn't make this Olympic team, a lot of athletes are like, well, that's an easy decision. Like, that's what my career is contingent on, whether I make the team. Well, I would have quit a long time ago. And so I feel like there's always just something else to chase. And so that happened in 2022. Um, like, I ran U.S. Cross, and I was fifth place. If that was a world year, I make the world, the cross world team again. Um, and then I can't even remember what I did. Oh, and then obviously I got ready for Boston. Um, and then Boston ended up being what I think one of my better marathons, like place-wise, it wasn't, I was 12th and um, I ran 228 and that was in our newest um, Rocket X shoes too. But it just showed me that like, oh, if you can get things dialed in in the marathon, like your potential is still there. And then all the way through the summer, uh, I I jumped back on the track. I ran USA's um, in the 10,000. I was seventh there with not a lot of track training. And then I um, ran through the summer and then I ended up winning the national title in the 10K. And I guess that was one of those moments where I'm like, well, if I can still like win a 10K road title, to me, that was pointing like, well, something must still be working. Um, And so I think I, I sort of just... I did a little bit of analyzing thinking, 
All right, Stephanie, when you did say you wanted to retire, part of what you meant was, I don't want to be holding on to my times or holding on to places. Like if I'm showing up at this point in my career to US road champs and I'm not getting top three and I'm getting beat by many Americans in top major marathons, to me, that is probably saying, okay, Stephanie, I think you're going like this. And so I do hope that I'm aware of like recognizing those signs, but I think I had enough potential in the year to show me like, I think there's still something in there um, and only time will tell and I'll have the baby and come back from that. But yeah, there's a little bit of sense and then there's a little bit of uh, taking a leap of faith and just believing in yourself until you have too many reasons not to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the consistency there speaks for itself, I think. I as a as a woman who, you know, you you spend 9 months having a baby, the baby. Um and you and I are the same age and so obviously like I think about time and age a lot at this phase in my life with uh running or not, just like it's just it is what it is. We're kind of entering this like next phase of our lives even and and Ben too. I mean with moving from your main coaching role to the uh, the role you're doing with NAZ, like I just feel like these transitions start happening when you hit your early 40s or almost 40 like Steph and I. Um, but the baby thing adds this like whole other layer because there's just this unknown, right? Like we never know how our body's going to react to pregnancy. We never know how long it's going to take us to come back and all those things. So I'm curious how you're feeling about those types of things. You know, I actually feel better than when I had Riley and Hudson and two reasons. I know I'm older, but part of that is like I have so much more knowledge. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know what to do during the pregnancy. I have my best friend, Sarah Tanza, who's a pelvic floor specialist. I just saw her this weekend and we did a lot of uh, examination and tests and she's like, everything looks great in there, you know? And so like, she's giving me like, and we're gonna do weekly check-ins on um, FaceTime where she, I can do exercises. And because she knows what my body looked like, she can tell me this is good for you, this is not good for you. Um, yeah, and then honestly, I look back at when we had Riley and Hudson and at the time it was just like, all right, like this is what we're doing. We have two littles, but we don't talk about this much, but in 2016, uh, Hudson was eight months old and Riley was 23 months old. And both Ben and I were on the starting line of the Olympic tra track trials. Uh, we ran the 10,000. Granted, we did not have our best races, but the fact that we both like you know, we had to qualify. So you're top 28 in your event. We both were there with two littles under the age of two. I was like, Ben, we like crushed it. Like we were kind of like mini superhero parents. And at the time we didn't think of it. We were like, this is our job. This is what we're doing. We're going to take care of these kids. And I was like, we did that. And so now I'm like one baby, like no problem. And, and I don't mean to like say that it's going to be easy, but I think my mental fortitude is there and really coming back from a baby, there is a big physical part, but the mental part is having patience, knowing when to pull back. Um, I had such great training with Coach Ben, like through both pregnancies, postpartum, we met weekly and I was like, I ran 27 miles this week. He's like, okay, let's run 35 next week. I mean, we had like such a good plan. And then at some point the coach just has to trust the athlete to say, yep, I'm having no pain, like green light, I'm ready to go. And so my hope is that I can use all those tools I've learned over the years 
we have the super shoes that's really going to help um yeah and so maybe it's naive optimism but i'm actually really excited for postpartum and for the comeback I do think too, um, having babies a little bit older and then being so far removed from the first two times you did it. Like, I don't know. I feel like the first baby I had everything, everything seemed like it took a really long time. And like, I don't know, it just seemed different and time moves at almost a different speed now. So you know, you know that the baby's going to sleep again. You know that you're going to sleep again. You know, all these things are going to happen. But the first time you're just like, it feels so chaotic. Absolutely. And we had two. (laughs) Um, I just feel like anything's going to be easier than that. Like when we brought Hudson home from the hospital, (laughs) Riley had just learned to crawl out of his crib and open doors and he was 15 (laughs) months old. And I'm like, I don't know how we did that. But now, and we have two boys that I wake up this morning, it's 7, 10 (laughs) a.m. Catcher's gear on and they're in the backyard and Hudson is throwing rippers to him. It is catching gear. And I'm like, I don't know how we got so lucky in life and it seemed really hard back then, but now these two boys are best friends and I can't imagine like our path going any other way. Hey friends, I want to tell you about Iron Lift by Smart Eats. This is the first powder drink for boosting iron levels. It tastes great, cookies and cream flavor, and it is easily digested. Here's the thing, when you have low iron, it can result in always feeling tired, weak, dizzy, feeling cold. It can even cause depression and thinning hair. There's lots of causes for low iron and women runners specifically are susceptible to it. And here's the thing. Iron Lift is a safe, easily digestible product. Okay. Now Iron Lift is also made for children with low iron or elders, particularly those who may struggle to maintain weight and are most sensitive to taste and GI effects of other iron. So a lot of people might be prescribed to take iron by their doctor when they find their levels are low, but the iron pills and supplements actually bother their stomach. And so this is a way to get that iron in and not have those issues. If you want to just try it out, you can go to Instagram and if you follow them and send them a DM, they will mail you free samples to try it out before you make your purchase. If you're ready to make the purchase and check out the iron supplement, Listen, this is the best deal you're going to get from any sponsors ever. Go to smarteatspantry.com, use the code RUNNER, and that'll get you 25% off your order. Get more oxygen to your brain, muscles, and organs with Iron Lift. Improve your energy, alertness, strength, mood, and appetite. smarteatspantry.com, use the code RUNNER for 25% off your order. And give them a follow on Instagram, send them a DM, they will send you free samples. Smart Eats pantry. All right, friends, back to the show. And you're having a girl. Tell me your feelings. Like, I know you're happy either way, obviously, but how does that feel to know that you're going to be a girl mom now? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have a little bit of like, oh, I'm going to kind of have like a little best friend that um, someone will want to talk about their feelings with. (laughs) Because I'm in a house with three boys, you know, and we get emotional a little bit, but for the most part, it is sports and farts and um, yeah, just just a different era. And but I was prepared either way. I mean, I think growing up in a family with three older brothers, you know, like my mom and I had a really special relationship. But my my brothers also sort of shaped me into who I am today, and and I'm so thankful, like 
I don't take crap from anyone. And I think that's because I grew up with three older brothers and whether that's protection or they were looking out for me in a different way, I'm sure that's how Riley and Hudson are gonna treat this little girl. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited. It's more like when you have two of the same, you're like, what is this person gonna be like? Like, what is she, is she gonna look like a mini me or a mini <laughs> You know, it's very funny to just like not have a Riley and Hudson coming out. And I'm, we're just excited to, yeah, have a healthy baby and see what kind of firecracker she's gonna be if she's like me at all. Oh my gosh. Yeah, your boys really look a lot alike. They do. Um, I wanna talk about the, um, like moving on to a different part of your career phase, which obviously stuff, you're not doing that anymore. Um, but the time will come, you know, it comes for everybody. And, and Ben, you're doing that now with Alan taking over like the head coaching position. And I loved in the book how you kind of, you talked about that transition, like still getting in there, especially with the marathoners who'd been there for a long time. And, um, my career is not really changing much right now, but like I f have those feelings. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was in Boston for the weekend and we had our event, I was running around on Newberry street and there was just like all these like hip, cool, young pop-ups. And you know, I was going into these places and I was like, what is this? Like, I don't even fit in here anymore. How do I like stay relevant? And so, um, you know, we're all kind of walking through this next transition of our career in different ways, but I'm just curious how your feelings are about that. Like being this, this generation when the generation in their like younger twenties is, is what's coming up. I mean, we're old enough to be their parents. I mean, for me, I would say that I, I'm different than stuff in that way. Like I do burnout. I go as hard as I can. I throw everything I possibly can into something and then I'm done and I move on. And that's pretty much how it is. You know, I did, I, I owned running stores for six years. I worked almost every single day. I took one vacation in six years. I woke up one morning, realized I was completely fried, sold, sold my half of the business and moved. <laughs> and that's how it is. And then uh, with the team, I put everything I possibly had into the team. Same thing, worked pretty much every single day um, for, you know, eight plus years as the head coach, the director, wrote every tweet, wrote every Instagram caption, write every word of every newsletter. And uh, it's just like, this is unsustainable, mm -hmm. you know? And so looked at the director role as a new challenge. I would say it's still a process, you know, of understanding exactly um, – uh, how to do things moving forward, but but that in and of, in and of itself is a challenge, um, and 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 one that I've enjoyed. So yeah, I, I just think it's important to make sure that uh, at least for me that I'm really really super happy and super passionate. That's when I work best. <laughs> it's very simple, you know. And if if I'm not happy and and I'm not uh, passionate, I don't believe in what's going on. Then I just move on. What I don't do is sit there and wallow and complain. I'm just not going to do that. I, that's a pet peeve of mine, especially like Steph said, if you're fortunate enough, not everybody is in this position. I totally understand that. And I'm really empathetic to that. But if you are in a position where you can kind of do what you want, then you shouldn't complain. <laughs> you should do what you want. And uh, I appreciate that about Steph. And, and I think I, in that sense, I am the same way as her. Wow, I love that. I think somebody needed to hear that, including myself. <laughs> what do you? How are you feeling, stuff? I mean, like I said, it's like not happening right now, but you have a little bit of a pause thing going on with the baby. Although she did just win a race, you guys. Just just throwing that out there. Um, but even if it's in two years or four years or whatever. 
that transition will happen. How does that sit with you? I mean, I do, I do love transitions, right? Um, and I think they're a very natural part of life. And I'm very similar to Ben in the fact that I think we're both inherently passionate. So whatever we do decide to go into, we will do it 100%. And so, you know, I have done a lot of things along the way in my running career. I think aside from just running professionally, we have our coaching business, we've done our adult running camps, I started women's retreats, great and growth. Um, but kind of with the, I think the motive of it goes back to like, I love my life so much, like I wake up most days and I'm like, wow, like, how did I get so lucky? And I know I worked hard for it, but things have always worked out for me too. And I kind of just want to help other people grab their own life like that. And same thing, like you said, okay, if something isn't working for you, grass isn't always greener on the other side. How could you make your current situation better? Um, and we've seen that on the team, right? I've been with the group since the beginning and we've had our ups and downs and Ben and I have been able to, you know, weather like disagreements and going back and forth. But what we always come back to is like, you have to just believe in something and stay true to believing in that. Even if at times you're like, I don't know how the shoes are doing. I don't know how we're transitioning, how training is going. My performances aren't there. But if you always leave at the first sign of, um, like danger, I mean, then you're never going to see anything through. And that I think parallels to like all the business ventures I'm doing. You know, when we first did Bruce camp, I was ironically like eight months pregnant and <laughs> Ben was like, oh, sure, we'll do it next year. I'm like, no, we should just do it this year. Um, and I think we had six people come and our idea was to have like 25 and we didn't make any money that year, but we were like, we could do this. And we've just kind of kept doing it. And then each year, you know, over the last two years, it's sold out at 30, 35 runners. And um, my whole point is like, I hope along the way, I'm not, my message isn't to be like, look what I'm doing. How cool is this? It's to be like, look what you could also do. I don't own a uh, pro running camps other if if other uh, pro athletes did this maybe people wouldn't come to ours but they probably <laughs> would because like the world is so big and that's the same with our book everyone's like oh there's so many books going out i'm like yeah but everyone loves to read and everyone has different stories and i think we can give different perspective perspectives so i think when it comes to like what my transition will be i don't know and i'm almost like not worried about it because same thing with my running career. I'm always like, I will figure it out. And I think when I get to that like roadblock and I have to decide what direction, I just think I'll be pulled in the direction and I know I'll go 100%. Like I don't imagine myself like doing a coaching job, but in a few years, if I got this opportunity and I was like, I didn't think of that, maybe I could go into this, you know, Ben and I worked husband Ben and I work together in so many ways. Maybe we do something that's a little different than we're doing now. Um, and so it's just exciting to me because I feel like I was given a lot of chances in my life growing up, um, a lot of second chances. And I've just always had this um, like intrinsic part of me that's like, just make the most of your life, whatever it is just finish each day being like, yep, that was the most you got out of yourself and whatever you pour your heart into. Um, and so my, to stay true to myself, I just hope I do that in whatever, um, yeah, whatever endeavor adventure I go to next. 
Um, I love that so much. And like, I feel that in my heart too. But what, what about the days when you're just like, blah, like, do you ever have a day like that, Steph? Oh, yes. I have lots of blah days um, and a lot during pregnancy, too. I mean, you have them even when even when you're in your highest high, like when I'm getting ready for New York City Marathon or Boston Marathon, I have some days where I'm just like, it's just like I am so fatigued from training. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself mentally and physically? It makes no sense. But then when you line up and you are so prepared you're like, ah, it does make sense. And so I think that is like anything when people are in the throes of like a deadline for work and you're just like, I cannot get this finished. But then when you do get to that end point, you're kind of like, well, it, it was all worth it along the way. And I, and I do think that's why I share a lot of my like journey while it's happening. Cause I don't want people to just see the end result and they're like, Oh, it, must have been all butterflies and rainbows along the way. I'm like, no, there are some real crappy days and motivation does wane for sure. But I think it's like anything. If we, if everyone has their true north or something that they always come back to, that kind of steers you on the path. And then you just have to, you kind of have to have a grace for yourself on the days where you're like, I'm just taking a day for myself. And for us, that might not be, that might not be skipping a run, but maybe I show up to practice and I don't have the best attitude. I'm just not going to say anything that day. Mm. That to me, that's the best. I'm not going to complain about the weather. I'm not going to complain about something going on. I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to keep it to myself and let other people's energy kind of spin that day. That I feel like is the best thing to do. And you could be like that as a coworker, you know, you have to ask yourself, are you making a better impact on people or are you bringing energy in that is going to take away from them? Um, but I think it's so normal to realize we all have days where we were just like, I'm over it. It's a, it's a hard balance, especially when you're with people you're really close to, because you don't want to be someone that's like an energy sucker. Like you're always like sucking the energy out. You want to be an energy giver. And sometimes you need those people to be able to just like pour it all out on, you know? Um, and I feel like that with my friends too, because I'm like, I can't just always pour everything on my husband. Like that's not fair to him, right? I love your relationship with Ben. I, I loved that I got to sit down and have dinner with both of you and like really just hear him talk, you know what I mean? Just like really get to know him. And he always pops up in the background when we do interviews, which is fun. Um, but there's something really special about a, your relationship, but B, both of y'all's relationship with the team, you know, like him being a pacer and him always being there. And so I'm just curious, like what that dynamic is like for you, Ben, and what your feelings are as like they might move to a different phase. I mean, that team is going to be changing. Kellen, Steph, Alephine, like those are your your core people from way back in the day and it's shifting. So what is that like? Yes. Yeah, so just, just, to, just a reset here. You had dinner with Steph and her husband, Ben, and you're talking about Steph and her husband, Ben. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, Do you guys get that confusion oh, often? Uh, pretty much. We saw it a lot at Big Sur, didn't we, Steph? Yeah. <laughs> Do people think you're the husband? No, 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 no. They don't think, they don't think that. They just, they just think like, ah, how would you say? Like they just get Ben and I confused. I yeah, think. like someone like went up to him when he was next to me and <clears throat> and they were just like, 
Good to see you. <laughs> oh yeah, you can tell they think I'm Ben Bruce, or 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 the opposite. Even they like, look they nothing alike. Sometimes they think Ben Bruce is is the is coach like, or that wrote the book or whatever, you know, which is fine. I would I'm lo- I love to be compared to Ben Bruce. Ben Bruce is wonderful. Okay, so now I'll answer your question. Uh, no, I admire the heck out of Ben and stuff, you know, and and I'm not worried about Ben and stuff post running. <laughs> of course, you know. In fact, I'm only worried because they have so many things to choose from. Uh, so it'll be difficult to decide whether they want to uh, really focus on their coach online coaching business or their camps or their uh, retreats or maybe it's a mix of everything and they've just got their hands in a number of different things. I think that could be good. Um, you know, that was kind of my life at the stores uh, that I owned in St. Louis that we were doing races and we were doing camps and we were doing <laughs> obviously retail uh, and timing and all, all these things and I kind of liked that because it was just bang, 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 bang. You know, every day was something new and different and focusing on this, then focusing on that. And I think that's why coaching was a good business for me for a long time because each segment was different. You know, each, you know, mm. Steph's getting ready for New York. That there's, there's specificity involved there that you have to prepare for. Alfie and Steph were getting ready for Boston or, or the Olympic trials. And, uh, you know, then we got people on the track. And so each segment is different. And so that that sort of uh, variety kept me really focused and really interested for a long time. Um, when I think about Ben and Steph and how long they've been on the team, I'm just very grateful. You know, it, it, the, the team is what it is because of Ben, Steph, Callen, Alphine, Scott Falbo, who's not even on the team anymore, but he was on the team for seven years, or Scott Smith, who was on the team for you know, the, the remainder of his career after he joined us. Um, there's a number of people that help shape the culture and the group. And it, it certainly wasn't just me. And, and, and it certainly isn't just the coaches now. And it's not just the athletes now. It's going to continue for a long time. And I think that is one thing that I've been very aware of um, throughout, but particularly of recent, that you have to create the entity that is NAZ Elite. You cannot rely too much on any one coach, any one athlete. Um, you're putting yourself in a real troublesome position if you do that. Uh, the group itself needs to be um, needs to be really, really strong and powerful. And 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 Steph and Ben understood that from the get go, from the get go. And so they've always contributed to the team's value as well as building their own individual brands. And that only helped. You know, that only helped our team. Uh, them creating their individual brand. And then the team was able to amplify their message and amplify uh, the Ben Bruce brand and the Steph Bruce brand as we've done with Alphine and Kellen, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's really why, why, why everything works. And so, yeah, I owe them a, a ton of gratitude. Yeah, you, you have a way with like wearing the business hat, but then like there's, a, there's an emotional side to it too, I'm sure, with Scott leaving and just like, things moving to different directions. And I loved in the book how you talked about that. Like, you know, those times were really hard, but ultimately where you ended up being like right now, the team is in a really good spot with like culture and and positivity and things like that. But riding those waves can be difficult, I'm assuming. Yeah. And there'll be more, you know, And, and we have to deal with those. And that's just the business of it. And that I think I have always been good at because, I've just been in business for a long time. Yeah. You know, I had my own business when I was 26 years old. I mean, if we would have failed, holy moly, man, I would have had nothing. And so I was desperate and I had to make it work. And 
when you have to make it work, you have to go through those highs and lows and you have to have tough conversations and somebody has to be in charge, you know, and somebody has to make those difficult decisions. And you can't worry about what each individual is going to think. You've got to think about it from um, the 10,000 foot view, if you will. And that's hard, you know, it's not mm-hmm. easy because you know somebody's going to disagree mm-hmm. and somebody's not going to like it. But man, oh man, if you go through life having with your goal being for everyone to like you and everyone to agree with you, you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to really struggle. Um, so you got to just do the best you can. You just got to do the best you can. And, and I think that's what I've always tried to do. And I've always tried to keep the team uh, at, at the, uh, at the heart of those, those difficult decisions, in, including stepping back sometimes and basically not being the one to make the decision. Um, and, and, you know, uh, turning things over either to the board of directors or to Mike McManus from Hoka, uh, because certain, Certain situations require that. So there's all these things that go on behind the scenes that, you know, nobody knows about, which is good. And, uh, <laughs> and we just and we just try to uh, try to always move forward. But yeah, the book, the book, I, I hope I was honest in the sense that, yeah, there were some tough times, you know, for sure. Um, th- those couple of years really grinded me down. I hated the pandemic because I'm a huge extrovert. Uh, just, you know how sometimes being around people sucks energy out of folks mm-hmm. being around people gives me energy and so the pandemic was extremely difficult and then the 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 fact that we didn't have proper super shoes for basically two years when when all the other brands did that grinded me down as well because i didn't like our athletes looking like they weren't as good as other people um, because we didn't have uh, the same technology that some of the other brands had. That was really difficult for me and, and difficult for me as a coach. Not that I have a huge ego, but it's we were kicking ass for a long time. And then to, to all of a sudden not be performing, quote unquote, like we were, even though we were actually performing really well, we just didn't quite have the same technology. And that's not a, that's not a knock on Hoka because, in fact, as I say in the book, it's the exact opposite. Now that they, they did take their time, yes, okay, but now we have this Rocket X2, and I'm telling you, it's just as good as any other shoe out there, and you can see that with our performances. So very happy <laughs> with that, and uh, yeah, you know, those are just some of the highs and lows, and and uh, yeah, I, I think we did a good job in the book of just being honest, uh, Steph and I both, and that was the whole that was the whole point of of the book going in is we were just gonna give you what we were thinking at the time. Hey, friends, a quick break here. I want to thank Gooder for supporting this podcast. I'm so excited they've signed on for another year, and these are the best sunglasses out there. They are functional, fashionable, and they have all sorts of fun colors. They have classic colors and styles, and they are affordable. Not only are they affordable, they don't break easy either. They, like, really stand the test of time. I just throw these suckers in my purse, and they survive. I don't know how they do, but they do. They have some really cool new sunglasses out now. I love the I like it like that. These purple sunglasses, I think those are my new favorites. And for listeners of the show, you can get free shipping. The code is another. It's just another. And when you use that code, you get free shipping off your order. So go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another and that'll get you free shipping. Uh, All right, friends. And Hey, when you support a sponsor of this podcast, that's you supporting this show. We can't do this show without sponsors or without you listeners. Those are two things that are very essential. So thank you if you've ever purchased from a sponsor before. We really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. All right, back to the show. Uh, 
Um, I actually, I wrote this down. I wrote shoes earlier in the conversation because I wanted to circle back to that. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, and, and I noticed it talked about in Dez's book as well. I feel like for a while there, we were all just kind of like, what's going on with the shoes? You know, Nike's got the alpha fly, all the, all the, you know, everyone wants to wear them, but nobody was really talking about it too much. And so I've been kind of late in the game, interested in this conversation a little bit. And I can't imagine being at the level of what your team is doing, like the highest of highest levels and not having equivalent equipment. You know, I mean, it's just like kind of mind blowing, actually, that that can happen. And were people quiet about it for a while because they didn't want to come off as like complaining about their brand or or just being like, here's my excuse I'm curious what that like thought process was in the time. And now everybody's talking about though. I would definitely say that myself and a few of my teammates and like husband Ben, like we were not quiet about it, but not in the way of Hoka. Like to me, it was never a, oh my gosh, Hoka, come on again. Yeah. Because I was with them since the beginning and they have paid us a salary from day one. And so I was always like, oh, if I have to run naked and in whatever <laughs> shoes, like we get paid, this is awesome. And then mm. we've grown together, you know, like us and the shoe brand. And so it was never like a, come on guys, what are you doing? Because again, who am I to complain? I don't know what it takes to make shoe technology. Uh, I know how much it costs to make one shoe mold, and then they have to do that multiple times for different athletes, for different sizing. So I know that they were trying the whole time. I think what I really didn't like in the beginning, I hate that shoe technology happened in the way that it did, mm. not all on the same timeline. Mm -hmm. Like I wish Nike didn't come out with them first back in 2016 and nobody knew about that at the trials mm -hmm. and then i wish there wasn't this war of who can do it faster and better and who has the most resources because when nike has arguably the most money they're going to be first and then all the other shoe brands were in that line but hoka is like well we're committed to the masses because essentially that is what you know their their audience and they're like why are we just going to make it for this small niche but then you do have this professional ass professional athlete aspect where once we started to see and understand what they were doing it was impossible as an elite athlete to not be like that person definitely beat me because of shoes mm. and you don't want to come off bitter but you just you just you know physiology and you understand what they've run before and then you would see things you'd see someone do a performance on the road and then they let's say they would beat me and then I could go beat them on the track when we don't have super shoes. And so then you're just starting to be like, oh, it's just it's really and it's helping the hard part about this. It was helping people at different rates. So based on someone's form, someone could get a six percent increase. And maybe someone like myself and Kellen, who were efficient to begin with, it actually only helps us like a 2% amount, right? But then you can't quantify that. So there was definitely a period where I was like, this really stinks and I do feel like I'm at a disadvantage. And I'm just very vocal about it. And to me, I'm like, but it's not gonna change what I'm doing. I'm still gonna put my head down, still gonna train really hard, still gonna show up at every race. I'm not gonna start the race thinking they're gonna beat me because of shoes. I'm just thinking, just try as hard as you can today. And then hopefully when we have the shoes, it'll all come back to the equal playing field. This is not the same comparison, but I've, I've heard athletes say similar, like if 
you suspect someone's doping. I know this is totally different, but like I'm just still going to put my head down and run as hard as I can because I can't change what they're doing. And obviously that's like a bad decision they're making versus like a pair of shoes someone's wearing. But same thing, like I can only run my race regardless of of what they're competing in. Yeah, I thought we did a really good job of that as a group for as long as we possibly could, yeah. right, Steph? I mean, we were really head down, do our thing, positive. And, and finally, I would say by the end of 21, it just kind of broke down. And, and I don't blame any of the athletes. Like, it just got tough, you know, like Steph was saying. It just got tough because it was just so obvious. Um, but the cool thing is, and, and she said this and she's totally right, and I've said this to other people uh, internally, externally, Hoka has always come through on their promises to us. Always, 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 always going back to February of 2015. Um, and they promised us they would they would get this done and they did. And I, I think actually it's a cool story because we got to prove that, you know, not only um, are we off, awfully uh, darn good, but Hoka is awfully darn good. And they figured out how to make one heck of a shoe. And now we're really involved in the process of the next iteration of that shoe. And that's cool too. And so like Steph said, that relationship has grown. It's so strong now that we're really heavily involved in the innovative process, which is quite special and unique. And, and we're, we're very happy. So when did you first put the Hoka super shoe on your foot? <laughs> that's um, for Steph. Uh, 10 days before Boston marathon in 2022. That's crazy. It is crazy. So we're talking back to like the Olympic trials. You're running in like normal shoes. Yeah. So that's our... Now, now they were okay. They had a carbon plate, but they didn't have the Piba foam. Okay. That's the magic. Okay. Okay. So I would say our um, two experiences, one like really cool claim to fame, like Alphine beat everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Super shoe, right? That was amazing. And then I have like a little bit of my personal tragedy that I missed the team. And again, we don't know, like all those athletes on any given day could beat me anyway. Sally Kipiego is a silver medalist, you know, when she went for Kenya and Laura Thweet and Des was a two-time Olympian. But it, it, you know, there's a part of me that still like will always burn a little deep. Like I, I didn't have like the shoe and, and those brands had them. And so I'll never know. But again, I think that's why I'm like, well, I can't have my career totally be defined by an Olympic team or not, because on any given day, you know, someone's going to rise to the occasion, right? And 2016 looks different than 2020. 2024 is going to look different than 2020. So, um, yeah. So the first time really in the shoe was 10 days before Boston. And I remember I got on a call with them and they were like, no pressure at all. You're going to be the first athlete um, ever in these shoes. So have a great race. <laughs> Jen, Jen and I, my wife and I drove the shoes over to Steph's as soon as they arrived. Yeah. Oh and God. I had jean shorts and a tank top and I'm like, I'm going to put these on right now. And I'm going to like run down the street. Uh-huh. And like, even just sitting on my front yard, like putting them on, I just stood up and I was like, yep, these will do. Like I didn't even have to <laughs> run that much. And I just I could feel it. And I'm like, this is what everyone else is talking about. And so I was very excited and very confident that I was going to start this marathon in this brand new shoe and have all I need. I do think that's so interesting that uh, that up to 6% that you mentioned that different athletes, like it affects them different ways. I remember talking to Molly Huddle about this and she, I think I'm pretty sure she said like 
she doesn't feel the effects of the super shoe as much as a lot of people do. Like as far as that, like percentage better that you feel or faster. And so I wonder, like, remember when they had the, uh, I feel like we've talked about this before, Ben. Remember when swimming had like the Oh, special, the suits. Yeah. Yeah. And they like banned the, the them. The full length suits. Yeah. They banned them. Yeah. There's regulations and there's regulations now in running, but, but it's, it, it was way too after the fact <laughs> to uh. Steph's point earlier. Um, and that's unfortunate, but what's done is done, you know, so we got to move forward. But I think we do need those regulations and we, and world athletics does need to be in front of the issue instead of, they need to be proactive in, instead of reactive. Simple as Like that. as far as like upcoming technology? Yeah. They need to know that there's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes with all the brands and they're all trying to come up with the newest, greatest thing. And what we need to avoid is another period, like the period Steph described, where one brand mm -hmm. had better technology than all of the other brands. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. All we ask for is a fair, fair, equal playing field. We don't want, mm -hmm. even, even us at Hoka, we, I, I don't want to have better shoes. I just want to have equal shoes so that, you know, classic, right? May the best, may the best man or woman win. That That's all, that's all I'm asking mm. for. Okay. So last question on the shoes and like, we've all, this whole conversation, we've talked about like positive attitude and like not wallowing and things, but I'm curious, like if you could decide super shoes never created or super shoes created, what would your answer be? Never created. <laughs> Here's why you don't have the people paying for mistakes anymore in races. And I love that of running. Mm. If you went out too hard in the marathon or you miscalculated, like you blew up beautifully and it was so awesome to watch. <laughs> and, I mean, it happened in other races. And I think, granted, I love where we're at and I love the recovery aspect. Mm. I love all this aspect. But to me, even in this part of my career, I still have an asterisk because I know what I did previously. And so I'll always be like, eh, am I better than I was, you know, or is the shoe part of it? Yeah. So maybe that's just because I've had both phases, right? Uh -huh. And so I love just being like, oh, I'm so sore after this 10K. Like, I'm not going to be able to do anything for another like two weeks where people run a 10K on Friday and they're working out on Wednesday, you know, which is just mind blowing. So I kind of love that part of the sport where you almost still needed to like really use your brain in a lot of ways and not make mistakes in races where I do feel like people can get away with um, being reckless in, in some regard now. But Ben might disagree with me. No, I, I, I'll hedge and say that I'll give, you, I'll give you both sides of the argument. So okay. I think as I sit here today, I have very much the same feelings as Steph, but you got to understand what we went through and that we were in the we were in it and 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 we're so proud of Kellen running 224 and a pair of tracers with EVA midsole, no carbon plate, no nothing. Um, and so the fact that one day soon that won't look like a good time is really uh, hard to swallow. <laughs> but the positive is, a few years from now, it won't feel like that. It'll just be a new era and, and things will be fine. And I think for the sport as a whole, we're going to find that it is really, really good. I think people are going to run later, uh, mm. going back to the very beginning of our yeah. uh, of our talk, right? I think people are going to have longer careers. I think they're going to stay healthier. I think... Um, I think the average runner, the age grouper, is going to run faster and have more fun um, because they're not going to be breaking down. I think 
it's amazing to be at Big Sur in Boston recently and see how many people are wearing super shoes all the way to the very back of the pack. I'm telling you, as a running store owner for six years, it was like pulling teeth to get an age grouper to buy a pair of racing shoes. And now they're shelling out oh, 250 yeah. bucks, whether they're trying to break two, ten, three hours, four hours, five hours. Um, they're all wearing super shoes. And that's good for the sport. And that's good for the business. And so I think ultimately it will be a positive. Listen, when I ran New York in the fall, I was the only 330 marathoner wearing regular shoes. I swear. I, we were going up the Queensboro Bridge and I looked around. You know, that's like when it's, yep. you know, it's really quiet. Nobody's talking. And I'm like, these are all super shoes. I was wearing, uh, I think I was wearing Hoka's, the Mac fi Mach 5s. And uh, I'm like, I'm the only one. I'm like the only common runner in a normal shoe these days. It's, it's kind of weird. But also I feel kind of like, ha, huh, I'm still wearing the old school <laughs> shoes, you know? I've literally never put on a super shoe. I just, I just, I just tried an actual, you know, of course I've slipped them on to see how the, they feel and whatnot for the athletes. But, um, I just did a run in them the other day at, with Steph at Big Sur and it, they were pretty darn good. Do they feel I got cool? I got a big 5k coming up, Lindsay. So okay. I gotta, I gotta use every advantage I can. What are you trying to run it in? Well, you really put me on the spot here. I need yeah. to run, I need to run under 18 minutes oh. so that I can get in the A wave at Boulder Boulder. I've said okay. for years that I'm going to run Boulder Boulder because the 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 citizens races are in the morning, uh -huh. early morning, and then the pro race, which we'll have athletes in, is at 11 a.m. I think, or uh, it's the last race, and so there's nothing holding me back from running at seven o'clock and then and then watching our athletes later. So I'm finally going to do it, but I would like to be in the A wave because I got a high school friend who I ran <laughs> with who's who's in the A wave who lives in Boulder and he's challenged me. So nice. I got I got to get in the A wave. So anyway, are you are you, you guys go. like similar fitness? Like, will you duke it out? No, he's race? probably going to beat me. I, 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 as Steph knows, though, I have, I have, I have willpower. So I'm, I'm counting on willpower and, you know, talent. Um, my weight could be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you, you must be kind of training, though. I mean, as fast as you ever were in the past, like to break 18 minutes. Well, I didn't run for fast. five months. I started running April 1st. Uh, so we'll see. Lindsay, what Steph has a comment. He is not a good example, like as a coach of what you should do as an athlete, <laughs> just in most of the things you live. But I will tell you, like, he can go to a very dark place physically mm. when he needs to, because simply because of competition without mm -hmm. any fitness behind him. And that is partly he's run 402 in the mile, you know, 216 in the marathon. And so he, he has it in him, but because his life is so busy and what he's doing, and he'll pull a calf and a hamstring here and there, but like push comes to shove. Like if, if something's on the line, he is going to a very, very dark place. So how do you go there? I don't know. It's just, you, it's just, I just am very competitive, you know, just very, that's why I always have worked best with the athletes like Steph, like Kellen, like Scott Smith, Scott Fogel, you know, and I'm not, I don't mean to leave anybody out. I shouldn't even have brought mm -hmm. up names. There's so many, there's so, so many back, yeah. Baxter, et cetera, that I just love the athletes who are just competitors. Mm -hmm. Like if you were playing ping pong, they would be very competitive. Mm -hmm. If you were mm -hmm. playing Scrabble, they would be very competitive. And I just, that's my favorite thing, you know, um, sports. I'm a sports fan and I feel like running is a sport and I actually lost my way not to get into my career too much, but I was too in love with running for a while. And later, 
when I got back to just treating it like a sport and just competing is actually when I ran way, way better at the very end of my quote unquote career. Um, because I just went back to being in eighth grade again and just hating people. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just want to beat you. And just digging down. And I just, I, that's the best. Mm, That's so good. When is Boulder to Boulder, Boulder? Memorial day. Oh, it's that soon. Oh yeah. I'm not going to train for months on end. Lindsay, come on now. (laughs) Two, two months. I was just thinking, I want to get, <laughs> two weeks, you know, no big deal. I was thinking, I want to get out to Boulder and like do a bunch of interviews, but I'm like, that's way too soon. I can't do that. Um, I love that Boulder Boulder does that though, because it like, that's what we want to do. We want to run and like get a workout in, but like we want to watch the pros and it's way more fun to watch them after we've like, it's such done a good model. Work. Steph, would you agree? Such a good model. Oh, it's a, I wish I was better at altitude because I always go there and I wanted to win that race and I can never finish better than seventh because I'm bad at altitude. But it's a, it's to me, it, I imagine it's like what the Olympics would kind of be like, especially like as the pros when you're running into the stadium mm. and there's 50,000 people and the hair is standing up in your arms, like, and everyone's just lining the streets. And yeah, it's for all ranges of paces. It's, it's an incredible weekend. Are you going? Me, no. no. I don't think there's any reason. They don't. They don't have uh, a division for Steph for this the, year. They don't, have, they don't have the pregnant division. No, and I think uh, I would be at a severe disadvantage, pregnant at altitude. And um, altitude, yeah. yeah. But you got the super shoes, so that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'll just be pacing some of my teammates here. Um, how did you celebrate Ben Bruce's win at Big Sur? Airport lounge. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys fly home that day? We did. Yeah. Um, It was a strange one for him. Like, I think because he had Boston and then his focus was like, get myself to Big Sur. Like he really had a goal of winning the challenge and winning the race. Like he won and it was so great. And then he was in like a really (laughs) weird, sad place, like Mm -hmm. post race. I can't even explain it to it. He just had for Ben, he had like nothing to say. He had like no emotion on his face. And I was like, this is a really sad sport, (laughs) like what it can do to you mentally, like what he had to go through to like win that race and yeah, have the two marathons within two weeks. I think he was kind of just broken down physically and emotionally. So I've kind of just backed up a little and let him take his time. He's doing much better now. Um, And hours after the race, like he was able to have a beer and kind of celebrate, but he's just not a big celebration guy. He's very different than me. Um, He's more like Ben Rosario in that way, where there's like, do we need to get done and then kind of like move on to the next thing. And I think for him like he was like well let's get home and um coach and rally's little league uh, baseball game last night and then we have hudson's game tonight and we're just kind of back into daily life uh yeah well i mean it's kind of like they always say like post-marathon blues i know that's like a super common terminology but like it is true like once you hit like a really big goal it's like okay now what <laughs> what do i have to be excited about now it's really yeah. weird it's so true though and it's very relatable very relatable. And I, I, I love that about, about Ben and stuff. And, you know, not to bring it back to the book one more time here, but, yeah, go uh, for it. but I just, I hope anyway, that that was what people were seeing is that, you know, they're just, I don't know how to say it. It's just like, it, it is such a, it's so, it's so tough, right? Cause you're trying, when you, when you write about pros, talk about pros, interview pros, et cetera, or even what I try to do, market pros, right? As 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 uh, as the director of the team, you're trying to do two things at once. 
you're trying to explain that they're very relatable, mm-hmm. which of course Steph and Ben in particular are. But you're also trying to put them on a pedestal at the same time mm-hmm. because what they're doing physically is so amazing. Um, you know, Steph running 228 at Boston is is like, it's so amazing. It's, it's really not the same as running at 430. I think that's the part you're trying to put on a pedestal and make it akin to what the NBA players are doing, what the pro golfers are doing, et cetera, et cetera. The relatable piece is the emotional piece. Mm-hmm. Just what Steph was describing. It's the same exact thing that we all feel after running a marathon. Um, and the passion that we have for it is the same. And the, the, the time and effort we put in is very similar. So there's, there's all these relatable things, but there's also this piece that, is is kind of crazy physically so it's just a challenge it's a challenge to um to explain both of those things at the same time and i hope anyway that the book was kind of i didn't come out and say those things necessarily but i hope it was just a part of the book where you're seeing all the relatable things but you're also seeing the super cool things like holy crap she ran that those times in a workout oh my god i could never do that and that's right most people could never do that yeah well i was going to ask you um to sort of wrap up here what this is your is this your third book, right, Ben? This is my fourth book. Oh, is this okay? Wait, we have Inside a Marathon. We have go ahead. Yeah, well, I wrote before that. I wrote uh, a book called Tradition Class Pride with my high school coach, which is all about building a cross country dynasty, which is, has done well. And then then Inside a Marathon with Scott Fauble, then Run Like a Pro, even if you're slow, with Matt Fitzgerald, and and that was more of a how to kind of book. And then this Follow Your Heart with Steph is more of. Um, I guess more in the inside of marathon genre where we're yeah. following along as an athlete gets ready for a big race. Um, one of these days I'll do one by myself, but I like working with people. Um, I was going to say, cause I, cause one day Steph, you'll also probably write a book. Am I putting words in your mouth? No, I will. I, I just understand how difficult it is and how yeah. much of a commitment. I do not want to think I could just do that on the side. Mm-hmm. Like, I know people who have been writing a book for two years. And so I really want to make sure like my life is at the point where I have the time and the commitment and the mental wherewithal to like really pour myself into that. What do you like? What's your biggest hope for this book, though, when people finish reading it? I guess that can be directed to both of you at separate times. Oh, I I, I don't think it's a you know what I've tried to tell people over the last few weeks since we released it, it's just a quick, easy, fun read. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 and I don't mean this isn't a negative. Like if Steph had actually retired, then I think there might've been some things I went deeper on potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but once the book was complete and once she wasn't going to retire, I think I just wanted it to be a fun book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, there's not really, I, I did want, to touch on Steph's relationship with her mom, Joan, who I loved. And I I did that. But I also was careful not to do too much because I do think Steph should write a book. I'm very much in favor of that. And so I want the real uh, life story to be told by Steph herself. But I just wanted to do enough of it that at least it gave context um, to who Steph is as a person, as an as an athlete. So you certainly get that context in there, but it's not super deep. It's it's I think it's just relatable stuff, just like um, people have relationships with their, their parents. And so I think that's in there. And um, the, the story builds along the way and you get a little behind the scenes look. And it's just a quick, fun read about an athlete getting ready for an awesome race. 
Uh, I'm going to be cliche and what I see people do when they're doing like a real live interview about the book. And I'm going to read um, the part that kind of a few of the experts that I hope people take away. And so um, it's what Ben wrote at the end. So I'll just kind of go through a little. Um, in the most pragmatic sense, I pragmatic sense, I wasn't wrong, but I learned something from her answers and from a discussion we had the next day when she let me know she was not pleased with the questions that brought clarity and I suppose finality to this entire project. Steph didn't move to tiny little Eugene, Oregon in 2007 after an okay but not great college career because it made practical sense or because anyone else on the face of the earth thought she should. She didn't start an energy food company in her 20s from scratch with two of her best friends because math tells you that's a good idea. After all, only 25% of small businesses make it 15 years or more. She didn't decide to start a family in 2013 because that was going to be a good decision for her running career. Pregnancy and labor wreak havoc on a woman's body. That's just the totally unfair nature. She didn't become a founding member of NAZ Elite in 2014 because joining a brand new team and a brand new coach at 31 years old is a proven recipe for success. She didn't create her racing schedule based on money or legacy. She always chose based on the experience she believed she had and the relationship she built with certain events. She didn't give up when she found out she had a congenital heart condition. She sought out the best sports cardiologist in the country who confirmed that she was 100% okay to continue running. When she announced to the world that she was going to retire at the end of 2022, she didn't do it to draw attention to herself. She did it to share what she truly believed would be the final leg of her athletic journey with her fans. So even though I asked Steph all those hard-hitting questions, thinking I would force her to reveal the thinking behind her decision, I eventually had to ask myself, what was the point of all that? What did I learn? Well, I learned something really valuable. I learned that Seth Bruce doesn't make decisions with her head. She follows her heart and it's all worked out pretty damn well so far. I love that. So that was my favorite part of what Ben's writing. And again, like that's why I love it's me dictating like a lot, but it is Ben's like ability to write and his way with words. And like, I rarely cry about my own life, but like when I wrote, when I read that last mm -hmm like two pages of what he wrote, I was like, he gets it. He gets me. And he just summed up who I am in a nutshell in those last two pages. Yeah. It's almost like sometimes when you, someone else puts it out there, like your, I don't know if accomplishments are the right word, but like the things you've been through, the things you've taken chances on, the things you've risked, you see how big it really is. And it's different than you just spitting it out yourself. Um, I've been talking to my therapist about that a little bit lately. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I loved reading that part too. I think it was the perfect way for the book to finish. And it made me think too, as I was reading it, how have you made those decisions, those risky decisions, you know, like picky bars, all the things like it's, it is scary. And are you the dreamer and is someone else the like, okay, if we can dream, but like, we got to like, you know, make this work. I mean, I am the dreamer, but I also know like the hard work that comes with it. And honestly, like, I can't explain it. I, I really think it's how I grew up. I think it's like, I don't want to get emotional. Like my dad died when I was 18, like he was 54 years old. Mm -hmm. That's me in 15 years. And so, and then my mom died 
to me, still young at 74 years old. You know, I see all these people who are in their 40s and 50s and their parents are 80. And I'm just like, I don't even know what, what that is like to have like that lineage of family above you. So I'm just trying to create my own as young as possible and then just not have any regrets and be like, what's the worst that can happen if something doesn't work out? You know what I mean? So I kind of am just like, let's just go for it every time there's a chance and an opportunity. And I like to think like part of it, my dad never got the chance to do those things. And even though my mom lived a little longer than he did, I know that after she had kids, she had so many dreams that she didn't follow. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And she always was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do these dance competitions. And then some part of her just told her like, you're not good enough or like no one's gonna read it or she had those. And so what Ben said before was like, I can't go through life trying to make everyone love you or like you. I love Brene Brown, you know, it, it, the critic in the cheap seats, like you just have to do what you wanna do and the right people will gravitate towards you and you'll have those people in your life and everyone else, <laughs> don't worry about it. Like don't live your life based on the opinions and feelings of others. If you're fired up about something, just do it because life is too short. You just never know. I feel like that's the perfect way to, to wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Steph and Ben for coming on the show. Once again, I love having you on the podcast always. You can follow Steph on Instagram. She's Steph Rothstein over there. You can follow NAZ Elite, which you should. They are so fun to follow on Instagram and Twitter, all their social media there, NAZ underscore elite over there. And you can follow Coach Ben, Coach Ben Rosario one. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. And we have a great Facebook group. We'd love to have you join. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thanks so much for being here today and thank you for your support. I know a lot of people over on Instagram um, that have been showing up and just sending me nice messages and notes uh, come directly from the podcast. So know that your words over this last week or two have been really meaningful and impactful to me and made me feel really supported and loved uh, while I walk through something a little bit challenging in my own life. So thanks for being here from the bottom of my heart. Seven years into this thing, I'm still so grateful for each of you. And uh, we'll see you next week on I'll Have Another. <laughs>